Welcome to the Silicon Trail Podcast. My name is Michael, and with me is my co-host, Johnny. On the Silicon Trail, we discuss recent technology and business trends, and observe where technology is going with an eye for unmet gaps and potential opportunities. Johnny's like, we've lost Panera as, as a sponsor. This is from The Verge. Amazon Flex drivers won't be paid if they have to stay home due to coronavirus, but Ubers will. You know, this is not a zombie outbreak. You don't step outside, it's like, oh, you have corona. With with a government like yours, who's been denying coronavirus, maybe not at the federal level. We should call this the episode where we lost our sponsors. So this episode was recorded on March 8th, 2020, and today we'll be talking about COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. So news of the week, Johnny, uh, did you hear the story about Jack Dorsey and Twitter? We were just talking about him a bit, I believe in one of our episodes about his moving over to Africa. Uh, apparently that's not well received by people who invest. For background context, there's this activist investor firm that's trying to remove Jack Dorsey from the CEO of Twitter because they're saying that his focus is too split. They don't appreciate the changes or the progress that Twitter has made since he's come back in and that his behavior, uh, because he's based on, uh, he's working on Stripe and now he's going to base himself out of Africa. They don't think that's good for Twitter. So they want a new CEO. Twitter stock went up to this news. Um, well, I mean, part, part of the issue is that, is that Twitter is, not doing so well compared to the other cousins that it has, if you will, right? You know, mm-hmm. it, it came up in the the rise of social media, right? Along with mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, you know, you have Snap, which has kind of suffered under Facebook's reign. Facebook and Instagram, which are killing it. And there's WhatsApp. Uh, Twitter tried a bunch of different things. I was, I was reading this uh, story uh, and reading a couple of different articles. And the time that Jack Dorsey came in, you know, they had multiple initiatives that they were doing. They had Vine, mm-hmm. um, which ended up killing. They had Digits, apparently. That was their... What was Digits? Their identity thing. Um, I think... I need, I need to pull up this article. I was just as, in, as in real-world identity or as in single sign-on? I think they were trying to... I think they were trying to do single sign-on. Let me okay. just pull this up. So like a Facebook, a Facebook sign-in or login with Facebook or login with Google type situation. I believe so. Oh, maybe it's just faster to say the Verge Twitter. Yep, it's digits. A better way to sign in 2014. Yep. And this... Yeah, so here... Twitter from, still uh, do live sports. I remember there was this large article or this large big deal that they had gotten some NFL Thursday night episodes to stream live on Twitter. And I'm not certain if that ever went anywhere. On Twitter? Mm-hmm. I remember watching one episode, which was Thursday night. I believe it was the Patriots versus 
I want to say the Colts or something. Maybe maybe I'm thinking of the wrong game, but regardless, it was definitely streamed on, live on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, that that's that's basically the crux of of what I was reading on the on the Verge, where you know he said that you know five years ago you know we had to do a reset when he joined, um, and they had to get focused again, right? So five years ago when he joined them back in 2015 as CEO, they were dabbling in Vine. Mm-hmm. So this was like TikTok before TikTok, as like some people like to say, Periscope, the identity platform Digits, mm-hmm. the developer tools Fabric, and Crashalytics. I know they had some initiatives under uh, former CEO Dick Costolo on TV, right? They were trying to do something with TV, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get that engagement that as you watch your TV, you can interact with people on Twitter, which, you know, some people are doing that now, right? But they're just using Twitter. There's nothing unique about it. Right. But basically, Twitter is not going away, right? That's a fact. I just, yeah, by the way, I just learned that it lost, uh, in 2017, Twitter lost its deal with the NFL to stream Thursday night games. Interesting. Yeah, there was a moment where everybody was trying to get into streaming, like Facebook, um, Twitter, and now, of course, now you have Amazon and Apple, but I know that's a story we're going to do another day. But long story short, I think when Dorsey is arguing that when I came in, we were all over the place, we weren't focused, our main core product was suffering, and I had to do a reset, and that takes time, is the gist of this. But of course, you know, he's a part-time CEO, he spends part of the time with Square. I think part of the gist, part of the issue is that a majority of his wealth is now tied to Square and not Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, Twitter is punching below its weight, given how much cultural impact. Well, from a, from a revenue perspective, from a business perspective, Twitter, the product is fantastic, mm-hmm. right? Like lots of people use it, celebrities, mainstream, that's how they connect. You know, even tech, they say one of the things you should do is get in technology and be involved in the tech community that's there, right? I see so what you're saying. As a product, it's fantastic, mm-hmm. right? I don't, argue, I don't really use Twitter. I started using it. I started following discussions. So I do see that and I've read that. But as a business, it's been eh, not the greatest business. Right. Well, I guess here's this, which is if you think about what Twitter is, and this is why I was hesitant before when you said it's punching below its weight. So it's a it's a stream. It's basically Facebook's old chronological based stream, if you will, except, of course, it came out before that. Of of text updates, because for the most part. I believe uh, Instagram has taken over the your stream of pictures now right and yes every celebrity has it and they they say that's your public marketing and every company has it it's it's a ubiquitous service but it's a ubiquitous service of text messages you post widely and i'm wondering are they really punching below their weight there are they're big they are kind of to me like uh how what would be a good way to describe they're like they're a public they're like if you go into public square and you announce your news to the world they're like a news i mean they're like a real-time updating newspaper but i'm wondering how much more revenue do we expect from them on that case because it's not about the close social connections that you're supposed to have on facebook it's not about direct messaging that you have on all these other systems and not even about the visual media uh that you have in instagram now so is it really punching below its weight for what it does, which is just post text online? Interesting. 
So just to give some, some, some stats to mm -hmm. this is that Twitter, this is uh, February 6, 2020, uh, Twitter hit 1 billion in quarterly revenue mm -hmm. of uh, monetizable daily users jumped 21% to 152 million, but they have, uh, they have 330 million as, as of, okay. As of 30th November, there's another article. They so showing some stats from Twitter. They had 330 million active users with 145 million daily active users. Um, and then there's roughly 500 million people across Twitter who, who access Twitter every month without logging into the account. Yep. Right. Like you see Twitter um, on advertisements. You see that like on the news, it does show up. Um, you do it just to follow what's going on, but you don't participate. Exactly. So is that an opportunity that Twitter is missing out on that it could find a way to engage more people? Um, I, I don't know, but outside of looking at the outside of restructuring the entire business model of Twitter, I guess looking back on this story of, of Jack Dorsey and people trying to force him out. Do you think this is, do you think that you just can't be in these days, a CEO of two major tech companies that are foundationally doing different things. Because you can argue Elon Musk, they're not doing similar things, SpaceX. And again, yeah, the, the non, uh, the, wait a minute, is SpaceX private? I believe SpaceX is private. SpaceX the, is private. And I think at one point when Twitter was doing bad, I think last year, a lot of his net worth was tied to, to, uh, SpaceX. Yes. So I guess it's the publicly traded part. Can you be the CEO of two publicly traded companies that aren't doing the same thing or they are very different fields That'd be and an get away with it today? That's an interesting question to ask. I think it's, I think it's hard enough to be a CEO of one publicly traded company. These companies, we have to remember, they're not, um, they're a decent size, right? Being a CEO of such a, organization is not a simple task, let alone being a CEO of two organizations. Let's move on to the next story. So Panera's unlimited coffee deal. Yes. So they, Panera announced a $9 a month unlimited coffee subscription, mm -hmm. which I think the idea would be that you come in, you get, you pay nine bucks, you get access to coffee. But of course, when you buy coffee, you have to buy something to go along with it especially if you're going to be sitting there unless you're, you know, going in and out. Um, so I think the idea was that by getting this access to coffee, you'd come in and naturally buy something to eat. So this would drive more people coming in. But I think it's interesting. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but is Panera the first, I know there's been food delivery and, you know, subscription models on that side, but has, is Panera the first, I wouldn't say they're a restaurant, but like, what would you consider Panera? Fast food, cafe, in there, that area? Somewhere like, in between. I mean, there's- The person that directly, the company that provides directly food yes. that is in the subscription business. There's a term for, there's a term for uh, fast food restaurants. There's a new term for it. I don't remember, but it's, it's something, it's just a fancy way of saying fast food restaurants, but I would consider a Panera fast food restaurant. Right. So is it, I know like McDonald's has its app, you can order ahead. Oh, quick Starbucks service restaurant. Course. There we go. Quick service restaurant. Yes. And then Starbucks is, as we already discussed before, uh, maybe not this one, but 
Starbucks is another example that's you know used its app really effectively to get right. people to to pay using their phones. Everything's tied to your app. You can and subscriptions are increasing for that one, or rather, signups are increasing for that one. Exactly, but I think Panera is the first one that to get into actually a subscription business. So I have to ask a question with this. Doesn't this, you know, depend on people wanting Panera coffee? So that's. I actually Googled to, to, uh, to, to look at the stuff. I came across a Business Insider uh, article from March 7th, so mm -hmm. yesterday, where somebody said, I tried Panera's unprecedented new $9 the Business one. Insider one? Yeah, I'm it, looking at this. Yeah, unlimited coffee subscription and found it was too good to be true. And because the coffee sucks? Yeah, in the, yeah basically. Her <laughs> third point was, I really wanted to love the service, but the coffee just wasn't good and the service was chaotic. So that's really interesting. So it's like if it was unlimited, you know, maybe have a have a good product first to lead people on. I mean, if it was unlimited black bean soup and breadsticks for ten dollars or or fifteen dollars a month, sure, yeah, Panera, I could see that. Right. But coffee is not at all what I think about when I think Panera bread. And I wonder if that's why, I wonder if it would work if it was the other way around. What do you mean? If it was the black bean soup? Yeah, or, you know, some of their, their, their signature meal or their signature food product instead of coffee. That, because uh, if that's the thing that people know Panera for, mm -hmm. right? No, that's a good point. Because I was thinking, well, not everyone likes black bean soup, but what you could do is you could do, okay, 15 bucks a month. Then you get one of the, you get a selection of one of these dishes every single month or maybe for the whole year. And then you buy the coffee with it. The problem is the coffee is definitely not a loss leader. The soup would be a loss leader for them. Right. Right. But uh, the, the interesting thing, the other interesting thing is, so $9 a month that comes up to 108 annually. Uh, this, so I'm just reading here. This means free refills in store or a coffee every two hours. And it's just rolling it out nationwide to members of its My Panera loyalty program. So it's not like you and I can just go and sign up. You need to sign I up. I have a loyalty Panera program. loyalty program. I used to meet every Tuesday at Panera Bread. Okay, so you go and I can't. So a regular Panera <laughs> coffee costs $2.49 in New York City. So the savings come from the fourth cup of coffee. So if you go grab coffee and you seem to like their coffee, it's a great deal for you. But how big is that market? Do people so spend, primarily go? Why do you, you, so you said you go to Panera restaurant or you used to. Why did you meeting, go to Panera? I had a meeting every single Tuesday morning. Okay. Uh, did you set that meeting or somebody else did? Someone else set that meeting. And you, but you never objected to it being in a different location? No, it was just close enough and it was open early enough. Panera opens at six or something. No. I see. And there was no Starbucks big enough near the area. I see. So it's like the alternative to when you don't have a Starbucks near you basically well Starbucks tend not to be overly large as well Panera's they tend to be because it is a sit-down place right. or you at least expect to sit down and eat your food there tends to be enough areas with enough tables whereas Starbucks it's will give you small little crappy tables you get in and you get out right so but I'm looking at my spend I didn't go 52 weeks out of the year for this but i usually spend somewhere around 12 13 dollars every single day so i'm actually paying more 
but granted the coffee is not what I went for. So I guess the thing is, if you get me in the door once a week, I will pay more than that 108. Exactly. But what do you need? You need to get people in with a product that most people will like. Exactly. I never drink coffee. Coffee sucks. (laughs) Exactly. So you said you don't go in there for the coffee and Johnny's like, we've lost Panera as, as a sponsor. Hey, we're just here to, I'm just here to discuss. I don't go to Panera. I don't even, I'm not even sure if there is a Panera here in Vancouver, but I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, that, that's the story. I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how this experiment goes. Um, what I think is another interesting aspect of it is they're rolling it out nationwide. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they tried it in a few states to see how it goes and then open up. They're just opening it up. So that's interesting. Maybe they did do some limited testing before, but I think this is something to just pay attention to, to see if the, the rest of the market will follow. Again, like I said, others have apps, they have order ahead already, or either they partnered up or through their own uh, loyalty program and an app, but no one has, I have seen has done subscriptions. So this will be an interesting uh, thing to follow. I was going to say it's, I, well, I would want this to be successful because I would want something that I'd actually want to eat to be in a subscription form. I'm trying to think what. I can't think of what, but I'm trying to think of what. What would be so what would be a fast food restaurant or any other tier of that type of uh, quick service restaurant that you would want a subscription for? I would do I would do Starbucks. Mostly I go there just for their tea. I either go end up studying there or end up meeting people there. Or if it's on my way to work or it's close by, I'll go. Starbucks doesn't need a subscription service though. Oh, I, I, I didn't say they needed it. I'm just <laughs> saying that that's, that's, I would appreciate a subscription service. <laughs> I was going to say, um, they already have a subscription service. It's called you go every day. Well, yes. So that, yeah, that's true. They don't need it. So. Unless they give me a subscription service to their breakfast, though I'm probably thinking that they're not losing much on that because people probably buy breakfast much more than I do. Yeah, so exactly. So there's two things I think we're, we're taking away from this, right? One is, do you provide a subscription service? Yes or no. And what is that subscription service on? Right? What mm-hmm. product? Right? Because you do need to get people in the door and yes, people will spend more. Um, so for you, what would it be? Which, which uh, quick serve restaurant? Let me think. What if someone gave me, I could know, because the problem with this is there are so many things that I would want, but make no business sense. For example, like some type of bubble tea subscription service, but that is the core of that company. So we need a quick service restaurant that has a multitude of products in which their main money maker is not what they're putting on subscription. Because that makes very little sense for them. Because if you said, oh, yeah, McDonald's, infinite burgers, McDonald's will go out of business. That's true. So, that is- however, oh, actually, I guess if McDonald's did the same thing. But with what, burgers or what? With coffee. Interesting. That's I might true. go to McDonald's more. Well, great. I, I still don't think so because McDonald's coffee, also not great. I was going to say, I don't know many people that like. <laughs> Tell me they go to McDonald's for. So I think you need to do this. You need to roll out. So McCafe, you need to roll out a new line of McCafe drinks. Put that on a subscription service to boost up the 
reputation of that new McCafe and then get people through the door. But the problem is McDonald's, McDonald's, I can see it because they have their own problems right now. People perceiving them as unhealthy, of which they are. Uh, and people- yeah, but a subscription, How does this, a subscription model help change that? Gets people in the door though. I think they just need things to get people in the door. So now to our topic of the day, COVID-19. Uh, Johnny, has, actually this would be a good thing to, to know first, Johnny. Is your company or do you know if any Vancouver companies are doing anything along the lines of work from home or containment or are, are the city of Vancouver doing any practices around don't congregate in large areas or large groups? Yeah, so I'll start by saying last night I went to the bar to go watch uh, UFC fight with my mm -hmm. uh, colleagues mm -hmm. and it was empty. Mm -hmm. oh, so why were you watching Israel Adesanya? You're not from Nigeria. I just went for the company, okay? <laughs> Listen. I was going to say, you know neither anything about mixed martial nope. arts. Nope. Nope. Nor, nor are you Nigerian, because Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion I, of the world, listen, he is from Nigeria right now. Listen, I just have a very nice colleague who likes mm -hmm. to go to UFC and invited me. And okay. Go there. But I was there for the Conor McGregor fight. That place was packed. Right. Packed. Right? I think it was last month or January. January. January, yep. Uh, you know, two weeks ago, he was there for another game. I was packed. Last night, was there was people. I don't want to say it was totally empty, but compared to what it usually is, there was a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, my company, which, you know, we have a Chicago office and a Vancouver office, they sent a, you know, saying, if you're sick, please stay home. Uh, schools have, two universities have closed. But I haven't heard of work from home yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, folks are still showing up, are still going to work. What I will say this is, though, in Richmond, um, by, by the airport, which is south uh, of Vancouver. Richmond has a very large Chinese population, right? That's where I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. There's a big restaurant scene down there. And, you know, when it started, even last month, some a, a, restaurants were empty. People mm -hmm. were not going out. And not only that, a restaurant that was going to close for renovation ended up closing earlier and letting go of its staff. Oh, wow. I don't know if it was temporary, but people were, well, no, I think this case, people were given actually like a termination letter, right? Mm -hmm. So what I've been hearing is that there's, there's parts of you know, Vancouver that are, are seeing much less business. Yeah, let's talk about that. It's one of the first topics of our, of our COVID-19 uh, conversation. Of course, we're not, we, we always say we're not a health podcast. We're definitely not, sorry, we would always say we're not a finance podcast. We're definitely not a health podcast. But let's talk about... You're not ready to pivot? No, 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 no. I pivoted away from bio, man. Uh, never mind what my master says. Um, so let's talk about the potential long-term ramifications of the negative on technology, for example, or, or for our industry. So okay. something you just said just made me think about something, which is, so in general, overall, uh, consumer confidence and uh, consumer spending is going down. People aren't going outside. So that realized something, the gig economy of Uber and Lyft, if people aren't going outside, that's going to be hit significantly. I know that Vancouver just finally opened itself up to Uber and Lyft now uh, after, after I visited there. Uh, of course, before you were my Uber in Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> but now was about to say now i wonder if that will have long-term ramifications of course we can go to bigger industry ramifications but that's something that could be severely impacted if people who rely 
on the gig economy for income, now people aren't going outside. Yes, Uber and Lyft drivers obviously impacted service workers the technology companies have been impacted. So just, I guess yesterday, I read that, this is from The Verge, Amazon Flex drivers won't be paid if they have to stay home due to coronavirus, but mm-hmm. Ubers will. That's pretty what interesting. That, oh, you mean, wait, you mean Uber, Uber, how, you mean, how do they get paid? So the specifics is that Amazon's Flex drivers won't be paid, but Uber said late Friday that will give its drivers up to 14 days of sick pay if they miss if they miss work due to coronavirus. But I'm assuming that's just like a very low baseline. I I I was not even aware that Uber drivers had a base pay. I didn't know either. But uh, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft are asking Seattle-based staff to work from home. Yep. They've at least Google, Facebook have said that their service workers will continue to get paid like cooks and the folks that just can't not work from home, right? An advantage that has been a disadvantage historically for Uber now, potentially with the coronavirus, is Uber Eats. Because before, Uber Eats was a lot of revenue, but I believe a huge profit loss uh, to Uber. It's sitting on, what was it, like $13 in potential revenue, but it was incredibly hard to run and maintain. Well, if people are afraid to go outside, food delivery is going to go up. Well, Postmates, the Postmates, and another one of these deliveries. Instacart. I think Instacart, they, they announced that they would do contactless delivery. Mm-hmm. Long-term potential negative impacts on the tech industry. Uh, one of the ones where we were just talking about, which is if this goes really, really long uh, and consumer spending, and specifically I think a key thing is if consumer spending doesn't pick up in a quick recovery, this could impact whether or not people consider changing their manufacturing lines or changing their reliance on China as this huge provider of everything. I think cons- they're already starting to, to, I know there was a few initiatives, not necessarily obviously before this coronavirus outbreak, mm-hmm. where I think, for example, Apple, if I'm not mistaken, was starting to manufacture iPhones in India. Mm-hmm. You know, Taiwan has always been uh, a place. I think Vietnam has been a place that they've considered. But now, of course, with this outbreak and the, the shutdown of China and you know, the entire supply line being impacted, companies are now more actively looking at it. And I think that speaks to you know, uh, the, the, the reliance that we've, that we've uh, grown to have on China, right? Mm-hmm. We have technology and the manufacturing and you know, the larger industries have created kind of a single point of failure. In this, in this way. And I think the, the key of this is how long does this virus and how long does the recovery take? So for example, it's nice to say, oh yeah, we want to get less reliant on a single country for all of our manufacturing. Right. Uh, however, if the virus somehow, let's say, hits summer and there's either a lull or a dying down of the virus, which would be great, and consumer spending just picks up and we have a massive Q2 or a massive Q3, for example, or a massive Q2 going into Q3. None of these companies are going to have any time to want to reestablish their manufacturing uh, systems, especially if the Chinese numbers are to be true or to be trusted right now, which is saying that China is recovering and picking itself back up in terms of manufacturing output now faster than everyone else. Uh, however, if 
which is a unique advantage of China, I guess, being both the manufacturing hub of the world and being now the cause of three large co- uh, coronavirus uh, coronaviruses. Um, but Pretty large? What do you mean? Yeah, so uh, H1N1 swine flu, which has another name, but I just don't remember what it is, and COVID-19 all came from China. Is SARS part of that? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. Is SARS H1N1? I'm... No, SARS, MERS, SARS, MERS, and COVID-19. Swine flu, bird flu, and bat flu, apparently, this one. Right. Apparently, it's a bat. Anyways, so if it's a long recovery, companies will have time. If it's a short recovery or a very fast recovery, I don't think much changes. You really don't think that they won't put something in place to at least have backup, if it's a quick, even if it's a quick recovery? But I guess the thing is, you have to go turn... So I guess here's the challenge of that. If it's a quick recovery, and now demand is up, how are you going to go think about turning these things No, over? no, don't get, don't get me wrong. It wouldn't be right away. Mm-hmm. But it would have to definitely be... I think there's long-term consequences, which mm-hmm. is that I think they will work to have less reliance on a single place mm-hmm. like but, China. But I would say how much of this is already, how much of this is expedited? So for example, with all of the other uh, coronaviruses we just mentioned, the MERS and the SARS, this also hit China. We were also highly dependent on manufacturing before in China. China is already slowly moving into what it wants to be a post-manufacturing nation. If we look at the other nations of Asia, essentially you have India as the only country being able to provide its large force of people. But it's legitimately speaking, I'm wondering, it's like how quickly can you really turn things around and and how what's what's the next manufacturing power then that you're going to go and try to uh, move all of your manufacturing to? So the, 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 the one thing I will say is, I know you talk about tech, but look at the larger, larger picture is mm-hmm. uh, car manufacturers, right? Some car factories have, you know, before even this has escalated, this was a couple of weeks ago, I was reading, we're starting to shut down because you can't, you can't build a car with 99% of parts. Right. Right. So if, if one part of your supply chain is done, that's done. Right. right. So I think a really nuanced question would be, you know, which industries depend on China exclusively? Oh, okay. Yep. Right. And which ones can get away from, from China? Like if today there's an alternative, like, Hey, maybe I have to pay a bit more and I go to here because they don't have the economies of scale of China. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess then the, I real, do that, the real right? question is in a, in such a globalized world, is that even a, a legitimate question? So for example, if you look at the massive producers, uh, for car parts, we produce rubber in order such that uh, those parts can get sent over to Mexico or China or somewhere else to manufacture. Yep. And then it comes back to us as a tire. And yep. then we put it onto our car with all these other assembly lines. And we already have taxes everywhere. So for example, this is why Toyota builds its trucks in America is to get around those import taxes. Are these real conversations that we can have of, of disassembling ourselves from this supply chain? Similarly, it would be like saying, can, can another country disassemble themselves from the American supply chain? I'm not sure if that's possible. I mean, 
good points. Good points. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, remember, manufacturing, at least in the States, used to happen in the States. But mm-hmm. over time, as they said, hey, you know, there's, you know, cheaper labor right. and technology is improving. Right. Like there's several aspects to it. Right. One is cheaper labor initially. Mm-hmm. Then there's better technology. Right. Even even Tim Cook ha- has said this, that they go to China not because of cheap labor. Right. It has risen now. Right. Like they do cost more than before. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the cost of living has gone up. The, the quality of life has gone up uh, for the most part. Is China is the only place that you can you can you have this technology yeah. at this scale. Right. I, you know, I was watching a documentary where these hardware startups were based in China because they said, hey, I can put out a spec and have something after lunch. Yeah. No way can I move this fast in anywhere else part of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. That's their advantage. They have the technology and then they have the know-how and they have the capabilities to scale. Right. So it's not just about, of course, it is dollars, uh, dollars in business, right, cost. But I would say that in the same way that U.S. manufacturing slowly outsourced itself, Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, as you said, right. Uh, the car companies are, are in Mexico. They have parts from Germany, even for like an iPhone, there's different parts all over that are shipped from this part and this part and finally assembled in China. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think long-term these companies, this will have an impact, right. To the degree of how much of an impact it is, it's hard to say, but because this will be, I think will be felt in years. Right. I if think this, if this drags on, mm-hmm. well, there's two things, right. We were saying the short term, I think regardless if it's short-term or long-term, there will be an impact. The question is just how large of an impact that is. I mean, I think the thing is, if you look at China, they're already trying to move into a post-manufacturing world. Yep. I just wonder, because as you said, it's... And where does manufacturing go? Well, but, that, sorry, go that, I was going to say, that's, that's one of the areas, which is I actually think that more localized manufacturing techniques, such as whether it's 3D printing or 3D embedding, is a much bigger, uh, what's it called? Is a much bigger change to manufacturing than just the simple of, oh, which humans put together this in which country? Because I think we've gotten to a state in which building another human labor force of manufacturing doesn't necessarily make that much sense anymore. That's true. I think uh, we can speak to Apple's uh, MacBook, Mac Pro. Mm-hmm. That was manufactured in uh, Texas, mm-hmm. and I think they still have that factory. I'm not sure the details now, but I remember before they said that each each Mac Pro, like I think the, the trash can, was mm-hmm. manufactured exclusively in in Texas. So they did say that that was you know being built in the states. So I do see that possibility where it, manufacturing could come back to a local position, but. That is thanks to technology like 3D printing, the rise of robotics, where, yeah. where before maybe, let's say, you need the 10,000 people to, to run a factory, you may need half of that, if not a right. quarter of that. Right, because right. bef- yeah, before all this outsourcing happened due to price. Now, it's people have established specializations in specific companies and industries. And now it's okay, well, how do you compete against these specializations? Because for example, if America tried to produce televisions today, actually we do, I think Vizio, they suck. They, they absolutely are terrible compared to the Panasonics of the world. Compare, I'm not sure if Panasonic is an American company. I don't think it is. I think it's a Japanese company. But definitely compared to the Sonys, compared to the Samsungs, compared to all of those other companies that manufacture the same type of products, 
American manufactured televisions suck. American manufactured air conditioners suck. You know, it's they, it, it, we've lost that specialization. It's not just about price anymore. No. Uh, Panasonic is a Japanese company. Yes, yes, it is. All right, another th- area that we want to talk about is a consequence of COVID-19, remote work. So I think, okay, I think this is uh, remote work, remote work. I think again, but, but so I think here's a more interesting thing than just remote work. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like we covered a, whole, a lot of this in our previous topic. Yep. Will, I think, I firmly believe remote work will continue to rise varying degrees. I don't think every overnight everyone will go remote. You know, this is talking from the people that can, right? There's lots of remote first technologies and there's a lot of remote friendly technologies. For example, my company is has an office in Chicago and has an office in, in Vancouver, but they have remote workers that are fully remote. They're in other parts of the states so far. I've seen Florida, in the East Coast, in other parts of the East Coast. So, and then we have, of course, uh, um, contract team in in Europe so there's going to be continue to be remote friendly and remote first companies and I think even like for example you you work in an office there could be you know there's those days where it'll be more flexible to say hey you know this team can run this many number of days remotely right mm-hmm. maybe you take a Wednesday off maybe you take a Thursday off whatever the deal is that you make agreements to so I think remote work will continue to increase in our industry what I think is a more interesting discussion is what do you do about the people that have no choice but to go to the office, mm-hmm. right? But have to go to their, their, their place of work. How do you deal with those scenarios, right? Do you, just, do you just shut down schools? Well, yeah, schools are being shut down. The schools are being shut down. Is, and what, what jobs today, I mean, this is maybe a pretty interesting question, is what jobs today that are being done in person mm-hmm. can be transitioned to over the internet? Yeah, actually, that, that was going to say this. <clears throat> this is an interesting question, which is what will this give rise to more remote or, or, or faster remotization, if you will, or automization of, of other jobs. jobs? Yeah, it's hard because, I mean, if you're, you know, if, if you're, if you clean offices, you, you can't. Actually, so here, no, wait, wait. So here's a legit question. And I know it's. This this is a slightly separate topic. This is more automa- uh, This is more automation than anything else. Which is, why is it that the job of the the job of cleaning is still a manual job? As we talk about business opportunities, why is it that a human being still needs to be the thing that cleans a toilet? Because we it's haven't like, created Wally yet. But we, it's we like we have to take out our trash. We have so much technology. We have all of this, and yet we don't have a machine that can clean a damn toilet. Or bathroom, or or an office. You've seen, yeah, that's true. You've seen the rise of checkout, Mm -hmm. self-checkout. You know, I can go to, I was shocked several years ago when we needed to get a a second key for our house, and we went to the lows behind us. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for a rep, and of course, as you know, in, in like stores like Lowe's and Home Depot, You'd be lucky to find anybody that works there when you need them without like looking around. Especially the the middle that used to live there. Yeah, exactly. But there was a load behind me. Mm -hmm. So then we went to the, we turned around and the center was a a key, what do you call it? A key copier. Right. I went there, 
put on my key, it validated it. I chose my design, I paid, and it gave me my key, gave me my receipt, it gave me my original key, and I left. I didn't have to talk to a single person, right? So there's that, there's a different, yes, I think there is an opportunity for, for people to do that. But then, then this, there is the other question, right? Then what are people gonna do? Right, but I guess the question would be this, which is, I think the, these are separate problems when we're talking about things that are going to be more remoteable. Because if you think about it, food delivery, driving, uh, office cleanup, all these type of things, these are the only things that people need to go around for. Right now we have, if you look at China right now, they're trying to use drones in Wuhan to, uh, to, de to sanitize the entire area. And the interesting thing is if we look at cleanup, it is so weird that we can do so much in automation, that we can do so much in systems, and yet we still find it not only that, actually, I would say this, not only that it's, yeah, is it economically cheaper to have a custodial staff than any of these machines? Absolutely. But have you even seen anyone try to go and make improvements in the area of cleanup. We have a Roomba, that is nothing. A Roomba is just a little damn vacuum that's slower at cleaning things up than your actual self is. It's just pure laziness. It can't clean your bathroom for you. It can't clean anything for you. It's so, like, why is there even no innovation in this space? Well, I mean, I would say it's a, it's a you know, it's a, it's a touchy space. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a touchy t subject. You're, mm -hmm. you're now talking about clearly here's the way I see it, right? For trucking with the self-driving car initiative, you can kind of argue that you could still, you can make it, you can make the argument and some are making it that we are enhancing the person, mm -hmm. right? Some of the automation is being built. But when you say that, Hey, now I'm going to build, I'm going to provide you with a robot mm -hmm. that will clean this entire floor and the bathrooms and everything that, you know, employed a person to do that right? Hotels would be pretty interested in something like that. But then mm -hmm. there's all this other thing that happens. So how do you justify that, at least in your, if you will, marketing to, 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 for it to not just look like an ex explicit way of taking people's jobs and well, letting robots do it? I guess I justify this, which is if the best job as a society you can offer these people is that they clean up the trash of the more fortunate, what type of society have you created? Well, now that's a different kind of conversation. <laughs> I think that is, that is a crux of automation. But regardless, anyways, coming back to novel coronavirus, I don't see uh, the rise. What, will this cause the rise of more automation is a legit question. Well, that's basically what you raised, right? If, mm -hmm. if you can get a robot to clean. I think it'll be somewhere in the middle. If you can, maybe you have now a supervisor and a robot. I don't know if you'll be fully automated. Is it, do I believe it's in the path of where we are headed? Absolutely. I, I just don't think anything's happening right now. Maybe a couple of different pieces have to come together. I think mm -hmm. part of this, which would be really interesting, really interesting is there was a paper, it was a bit controversial, but DeepMind's paper last year where they used, they were able to have AI solve, um, not Sudoku, but uh, Rubik's Cube. So it wasn't like that, it was new, right? But what was new was how they were able to control the, the, the hands, mm -hmm. right? The robotic hands to actually figure out the correct uh, solution to the problem, right? So they use AI to figure out how to get the hands to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was pretty innovative, right? And that was the groundbreaking part, even though the paper was controversial for other purposes. Um, 
So if research continues in that space where now you can have AI, you don't have to explicitly program a computer to, to you know, use a set of hand, robotic hands to do something, right? I think if you take that a little bit further and tie it with what's happening, like the rise of robotic process automation, a lot of the other advances and, you know, we already have pretty advanced in manufacturing, then you might have a very interesting set of technologies to put together to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily a problem, but yes. But then what do you, but then here's my question. Does this, if we do that, right? If we're the society that says, okay, we don't want you to do this work anymore. We're going to automate it. What do we do with those people? Right? It's already controversial that the truck drivers in the States, what is it like 1.8 million or so they said? Like it's, if they're all replaced by computers, what, what do you do with all these people? Mm -hmm. Right? I guess here's the, the, here's the then challenge of that, which is, so there, the, the knee-jerk reaction is universal basic income, but that's not, that, that's not a complete solution because if you think about it, where, what we're talking about is uh, a world where we can automate things like uh, plant picking when we can, or like crop picking. We're going to automate cleanup and all these other highly manual jobs. So if you think about it as well, these manual jobs, these are not the type, this is not the type of world anymore where, oh yeah, this person started as a mailroom clerk and now is the CEO of this bank. That does not happen. These sure. jobs are lifetime jobs. You do not go up from custodian to anything else in the custodial path or in the plant picking, crop picking path. You do not become the owner of the, you do not become a sharecropper. Okay. Sure. Usually. So the question is, it's, are we purely replacing jobs of zero economic uh, merit that don't do not drive net economics or drive net well, profit? I don't because know if, you, if you'd say that, right? Because if regardless of what job somebody does, mm -hmm. they're earning an income that allows them to spend to own a property, well, not own, sorry, not necessarily own a property, but to rent property, to go mm -hmm. buy groceries. If you now tell these people that you're no longer going to raise an income, you are going to cause a lot of, well, I wouldn't say unexpected because that's what I'm just saying right now, is there's going to be a cascade on the econ economy. Right. This is a huge group of people that are doing this kind of job. It's not a few. A few yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I guess here's the thing right now, which is right now the cost of employing these people weighs against the economic yet benefit of having these roles be done by humans and that sure. that overall profit is very high i would stand to imagine that the overall profit of all this is quite high if you look at the agricultural industry if you look at just normal custodians and running and the garbage industry it's it's the economic profit is actually quite high for these areas for for humans to be doing these jobs I guess the thing is, the value of the jobs does not change. Purely it's the cost of the actors of the job. If robotics and automation can make it so the cost is so low and that value stays the same, then you can afford to pay people who even if they aren't doing these jobs. Okay. And only then would I say can, because the, yes, it's like, what will these people do? If everyone becomes a, a computer scientist, we just, we don't, honestly have that many high or the that many high paying non-manual jobs in our society 
Sure. I, I, I would say that to, because to, I know we have other, like which mm -hmm. companies want to benefit. Mm -hmm. I, I think this, this question of how do you handle folks who are not in a position to work remotely, you know, whether you grocery store, you work at Starbucks, mm -hmm. you know, you, you clean offices, whatever your role is, you're, you're a cook, you need to show up to the office. And even as we discussed the gig economy, they're reliant on people picking stuff up, people picking people up and dropping them off, right? You have this huge network of people doing, transporting goods and transporting people back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you handle that? In a, I would add like, not just economic, but also a, a moral, morally appropriate way, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to say, it could be, especially with the rising, uh, what's, uh, uh, what's the, what's the term? The, the minimum wage, the rising minimum wage, like, you know, mm -hmm. up to $15 uh, an hour in some states, you know, some businesses are starting to say, hey, it doesn't make sense for me to employ this many people, right? Mm -hmm. I need to start finding other means to do this, right? Which is unfortunate, but that's the reality, right? When you look at it from a business, right? I can't afford 10 workers. I can only afford five workers if I'm going from you know, $8 or even $10 to $15 an hour that I need to pay them for a full-time gig. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of those questions where you can bring in some level of automation to help. Uh, where will those people go? That raises a lot of questions. Is that the, the, the base income, the universal income level mm -hmm. approach? What is the other approach? I don't know. But it, that starts opening up a whole lot of can of worms. Right. We should Which call is, this the episode where we lost all our sponsors. First, we make fun of Panera and McDonald's. <laughs> now we're talking about universal basic income. No sponsor is going to want to come 50, near like 500 yards of this. It's like, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll pass on this tech. We thought you were a tech podcast. Hey, I, I'm just saying. We're, we raise the questions. We don't <laughs> promise or we don't claim to have answers. Right. But these are questions to ask, right? What do you, how do you deal with this? Um, do you make everybody so the, the one other thing I will say is in my office there was an email sent in my job you know they're they're encouraging who, someone who's sick to to go home uh, they're encouraging you know they're putting hand sanitizers and tissues all over they're like making sure that everything will be wiped extra clean and all of that um, and of course they're they're warning people which raises me a question so let me ask you this how many sick days do you get in theory two weeks though no okay. one counts these Oh, okay. So I think it's really interesting that from all the stuff I heard, I haven't heard a company waive their sick days for someone. Hmm. Right. I've seen like, you know, if you work remotely, you work remotely, but for the ones that are sick and I actually have to leave, typically companies give like six to, like you said, you know, um, 14 days of, uh, not 14 days, 10 days, right. If you're just two weeks, five days a week. Mm -hmm. So has any, I haven't seen anyone say, you know what, if you're sick, we're waiving your sick days. Let it come back whenever you feel better. I have not heard that. that yeah, that's a good point. But uh, yeah, I think w we kind of touched on this last time with the, you know, with the rise of remote. By the by, just real quickly on that. I think there is a scrubbing bubbles automatic shower cleaner. I don't think it does anything. Okay, you, you have to send that to me so I can add it to the show notes. <laughs> you can buy it on Amazon. There's one left to discontinue this product because it doesn't do anything. Well, okay, so that's 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 interesting. I, I know it's on our topic, but Johnny's like, and now we've lost scrubbing bubbles. <laughs> we've lost everybody. It's okay. <laughs> I can break that. So we at the end of the day, we can just do this for fun. 
It's like now, we can get the we can get the Andrew Yang supporters on our universal basic income idea. No, 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 no. So you go to Costco. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Costco recently? Yes. Yes. And people. How, how's that experience? Let's talk about weird. that. Oh yes, let's let's talk about this. So actually, that is the more I don't understand. Thing impacting everybody right now. So go ahead. I asked the Costco, and there's videos of this online in different stores. But I asked the Costco's uh, checkout folks this when I was going through last Monday or Sunday to go get all of the different types of items. Cause I said, okay, worst case scenario, maybe I'm locked in the house for like a week or so or two weeks. Let's get some pastas. Let's get some dried goods. But likelihood is that no one's going to have a shutdown lock into your house situation for a flu, unless this flu significantly might uh, mutates because this is not, you know, this is not a zombie outbreak. You don't step outside. It's like, oh, you have corona. So I asked the, the checkout counter. And I realized people were stocking up on water, which was weird. They were stocking up on toilet paper. They were stocking up. There was no more rice. All the rice was gone. There was no more pasta. All the pasta was gone for just about everything. This is a Costco. Yes. All of the wipes were gone. And then I was asking the, the person who works at the checkout counter, I said, hey, how's the day been? And she said, well, we had a fight over toilet paper. And I sat there, I was like, what? I don't understand this. Do people think this is a zombie apocalypse where we're now trapped in our house for months on end and thus you need to fight over toilet paper and, and paper and these other type of things? Are you thinking that we can't go outside at all? That the government's going to somehow lock us down like Wuhan? It's like, we don't live in a country like that. The government well, can't, well, in fact, lock this down. No, no, no. I will, I will argue this. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have an article. Okay. So, Italy locks down much of the country's north over the coronavirus on okay. Saturday. It basically has locked down the northern part of the country where they said 16 million people. People have to get special rights to go to work, to leave their house. Police mm-hmm. are on patrol. This will, if you don't do this, you will be you will be fined or go to jail. But they're, I mean, they've been hit hard. You know, they've uh, they've had over five, I think, five thousand cases. In but in- but hold on yeah. now. So let's think about this. Which is okay. Has- I could see, I could see this in an increasingly socialist Europe. But do you actually think that with the first off, okay. Yeah, actually, I'm even thinking within California, Washington. Hey, listen. I want to see this. Okay. Listen. Okay. With with a government like yours, who's been denying coronavirus, right? (laughs) Maybe not at the federal level, but Uh I saw that New York is in a state of emergency. California Mm -hmm. is up to, I think I just saw 24 cases. The other one I I just wanted to mention briefly. 24 deaths. 24 deaths. 24 deaths or 24 cases? Stanford cancels in-person classes due to coronavirus. A faculty Mm -hmm. member has tested positive for the virus. Spring break uh, is going to suck now on Santa Stanford Clara, campus. Santa Clara County, not the state of California, but Santa Clara County in the Bay Area has said that uh, uh, has the largest number of coronavirus cases with a number increasing to 24. So it's not clear. I think that is Santa Clara County, not California, the state. Uh, the other one is, of course, um, University of Washington has moved classes mm-hmm. online beginning March 9th. Uh, you know, one of its employees positive te- tested positive. And that's where, you know, in Seattle, most of the tech companies, most of the tech companies are telling their employees to work from home. Yes. So you are, I don't think you'll see it at the federal government level, like what's happening with Italy. That's 
pretty shocking. 16 million people, you yep. know, outside of China, that's the largest lockdown. I would, I would like to but see I a think, state try. I really want to see this thing. I want to see because California is not all the, it's not all of the, uh, the, the coastal elitism tech people, nor is Portland, nor is Washington. I, so, there are plenty of folks in these states who will revolt if the state try to say, oh, you're locked in your house. You cannot leave. Hey, I'm not saying people will accept it. Mm-hmm. We're just saying, let's think about the first part. Would any state, city, at any level of the government, would anybody attempt this if it goes out of control? I can see a city attempting this. Right. I cannot see a single state government having, it's just not even a part of the, the DNA of any of these state governments to even attempt something like this. Nobody there would ever get, I just don't see it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Especially for this. Now, unless if COVID-19 becomes much worse, the flu mutates into something highly more viral and can survive uh, on more surfaces for longer periods of time, so on and so forth. But it's, it would have to be, it would literally have to be something like, okay, now this is the mortality rate of COVID-19 is actually like 10% or something. And I believe at the time, at the relative time, and of course, uh, Again, not health cop podcast, so everything should be taken with not only grains of salt, entire salt mines. But I believe at the same amount of time or the same state of the viral outbreak, H1N1 had a 10% kill rate or a 10% death rate, whereas COVID has a 3%. So even in comparison to its coronavirus cousins. I will say you're not the first uh, friend to tell me this. I have a friend who works in the healthcare space uh, mm-hmm. and he was telling me that if you look at the stats it's just not there people are exaggerating it so I, I do think there's a bit of a hysteria to it i mean we can quickly go through it but which company stands a benefit outside of the ones we've mentioned actually what really quickly before that actually even before the the company stand a benefit which is this which is we just talked about this there's a lot of hysteria around this and maybe there was just as much hysteria for the other coronaviruses we were just at an age where we could not perceive it though i don't remember this happening we are also more connected my question is it because that we're so much more connected this connected world going back even to the news we're talking about of twitter and the internet being so much more prolific now than everything else and everyone living in a connected world is it because of this connected world that now there's more hysteria potentially over this, which could be good, mind you. The hysteria could be good because it gets people to overreact to this. And maybe we, uh, maybe we go through this viral outbreak much better than we did swine flu and, and SARS because of that. But why do we feel like there's so much more hysteria now? Because I don't remember the run on toilet paper. I don't remember schools canceling classes. I don't remember all of this in the, in the past. Right. And uh, I'm going to say this from the perspective of someone who's been seeing the news and reading up on the articles, you know, all the schools being canceled. And of course, being here in Vancouver, a lot of, you know, just seeing through the periphery of the news, I would say, is it because it's something that we don't see, we don't understand? We like, you know how you get, you know, there's flu season, you know how to handle mm-hmm. that, right? You take a flu shot. And if you, by the chance you get it, you know, like you're going to be expected to be sick for so long. In, even if you get a common cold, it's the same thing, right? Okay, you know, I took a hit or 
t change of temperature, what have you, right? But what is it that triggers coronavirus? How does it actually, well, you know, we're hearing people from people. I heard just like yesterday or Friday that a dog got the virus. So mm -hmm. I think part of it is really driven by we just still don't understand it. And nobody has solid answers. How do you avoid I think it? Did I think they did say that, that actually they learned that the dog does not have the virus and dogs can't catch the coronavirus. No. Um, okay. But even, That's good. even beyond that, though, it's why did, but th those would be true for, that was true for Ebola. Uh, it's true for Ebola. Ebola is worse, to be frank. Uh, it's true for all of the other coronaviruses. So, why is there so much more panic or not even not even panic? Why is there so much more concern now and potentially good concern in, in terms of people actively doing things to try to prevent this from getting worse for this case in 2020 versus all of the others, which scientifically, at least according to the numbers we're looking at now, appear to have been worse? And is it, is it this connected world that we live in now where information is spread so much more because i wouldn't say that we're more social than before in fact we're probably less where there's no news instance it's not like oh there's much more concerts much more social events much right. more connectivity Twi lyfts and ubers just at the end of the day cat uh, taxis right um so is it now we have so much more information and is this a good thing right that's a good question Mm -hmm. I, I don't, yeah, I don't, again, I don't have answers. My thing, I think is people don't understand it. And then today's that combination, that in combination with today's very hyper connected world is my theory of why this is just blown up. Mm -hmm. But Absolutely. you know, there are, there are damage, right? I think I was reading that the, they estimate that the, air, the airline, industry they were going to lose 30 billion but then when they extended yep. now they're saying like over 113 billion that was might like, need wow. a bailout huh might need a bailout oh yeah uh, matter of fact well yeah so that'll be a really interesting thing if we uh, maybe another topic for another day is the economic impact out of this i know we've been talking more like manufacturing and, and what would more people how people react but there is an economic cost i was just reading in in europe they have this policy that if you don't use your allotted slots, like the airlines and at airports, that they will lose it. So airlines have actually been spending God knows how much money fueling empty planes yes. to fly their slots. I think one, I heard anyways, one, air, one airport in, I think in England, canceled or vouched to cancel it, but I don't know why the arrest have not. So you see all these really interesting rules that you become aware of and you're like, huh, that's really interesting. But why don't you just suspend that? Like, does it doesn't make sense for a flight to, to fly, uh, for a plane to fly empty. Um, mm -hmm. but, so the, the, I think the other, your, your last topic was permanent changes to tech culture. Is right. Anything you want to touch on on that? I think, I think we've, we've touched on a little bit of this with remote work and stuff. How about the companies that stand most to gain and companies that stand most to lose through this coronavirus outbreak? I think it was on TechCrunch. I saw the Zoom stock kept going up, I believe. Yeah, I think, again, I think remote, remote first companies, 
yeah, remote. Yeah, I think this is it. As coronavirus pandemic spreads, demand for remote work startups spikes. Oh, maybe it's not this one. There was one where they were showing numbers, the percentage increase by region. And I think Vietnam had like 5,000, over 4,000% increase in mm -hmm. demand. It's, yeah. So I, I think that's, uh, it's, it's happening, right? Like you're mm -hmm. starting to see that impact. So I was about to say, is it, is it the remote, the, so the remote work uh, companies I could see is significantly advantage. The lifts of the world and the, the lifts of the world especially could be disadvantaged. The yep, everything, it, go for it. I was about to say, considering lift, as we were just saying earlier, it is purely just, you have to go outside and do it. They have no other income source. Whereas at least Uber potentially has Uber Eats, which could be benefited through this. That's true, uh, actually. I was just pursuing uh, Twitter earlier, and I saw that uh, Facebook's VPN IP was- Perusing Twitter earlier? Listen, what's <laughs> on the main part of this conversation here? You now, were just pursuing Twitter earlier. Facebook VPN IP was banned from DoorDash because everybody- yes. Was oh, that became news? Yes. <laughs> I, well, not news. I just saw that on Twitter. That I thought that was hilarious. That because everyone's most people are working from home and they're ordering in from uh, connected to the to the corporate network. It's like okay, you did see that. You saw that on Twitter. Okay, good. Yeah. That's here today, an unexpected mass work from home problems. Facebook's VPN IP got banned from DoorDash because so many people were trying to order food from home while connected to the corporate network. Yep. Uh, there was another interesting, uh, just, just to mention this, uh, Steve Schlafman said, yesterday a founder in SF San Francisco told me she felt people in Silicon Valley were t taking COVID-19 more seriously than other parts of the US, including NYC. I began to wonder why that might be. Here's my conclusion. Silicon Valley understands the power of network effects and exponential growth, to which somebody said, congrats, Silicon Valley, you took a math class. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, tw Twitter can be pretty. Nice. <laughs> you know, I was, you know what? That's a good outro. <laughs> All right, okay. we can call it a wrap. Yeah, I was about to say. I don't think we're gonna top that. I, I don't think we're gonna top going out on that. <laughs> no, that I think that's a good. All ending. right, in that case, in that case, I will go with. Uh, that's another episode of Silicon Trail. Thank you for listening and have a great week.